Well, church, it was an amazing week at Vacation Bible School. And our theme this week was shipwrecked. And we talked throughout the week about two important words, Jesus rescues. And we talked about all the ways that Jesus rescues us. But I was thinking, you know, there's a really important question that needs to be asked and answered. How is it that people shipwreck their lives? So I decided to try to help you understand that a little better with an illustration this morning that requires three volunteers. So let me recruit some volunteers, and before you volunteer, let me tell you this, you have got to have the ability to jump off the stage onto the floor when I ask you. All right, that might narrow the volunteer field a little bit, but I need, come on, three volunteers to come up and, and be a part of this illustration. Do we have some volunteers? Okay, gotta be able to jump down. Can you do it, Isabel? All right, all right, Nick, is that? Okay, or is that Thomas? Thomas, okay, we, oh, wow. We have all kinds of volunteers. All right, here we go. All right, now, here's what I want to ask you. Does anybody not know what gravity is? I asked it the other way in the first service. Does everybody know what gravity is? Okay, good, because that's really important for this illustration to work. So we have three people, and could you stand up on the stage there? Can you do that? You can help each other, okay? All right. Good deal. All right. So we have Larry and Isabel and Alan. Alan. Okay. Now, you guys have to play a role this morning. Larry, you're a true believer in gravity. Okay? So I want you to say, I really believe in gravity. I really believe in gravity. Okay, good. Now, Isabel is sort of an agnostic. She's not sure that she really believes in gravity or not. So, Isabel, say, I'm not sure I believe in gravity. I'm not sure I believe in gravity. Good job. Now, Alan, he's what you might call a gravity atheist. <laughs> he doesn't believe that gravity exists. So, Alan, can you say, I don't believe in gravity? I don't believe in gravity. Okay. All right. Now, on the count of three, I'm going to ask all of them to jump off the stage. In what direction will they go? Down. Is anybody not convinced of that other than Alan? We, we know this, right? So should we demonstrate this? Okay, here we go. On the count of three, I want you to just jump, and we'll see what direction you go. All right, here we go. One, two, three, jump. Okay. No surprises, right? Well, why is it that they went down? Well, because... Of what? Starts with a G. Gravity. And see, gravity is the way things work in this world. And we all know that, don't we? Now, just as there are certain physical realities in the physical world, there are certain spiritual realities in the spiritual world that work the same way, and they're just as absolute. And that's really important to understand. Because when God wants us to know how things work in the spiritual world, where does he give us that information? There's this book that we often study, what is it called? The Bible. And in the Bible, God reveals his heart, his purpose, his plans, his commands to us. And so the question is, well, how is it that people shipwreck their lives when they don't believe the spiritual realities that God explains in his book? And when they don't do the things that God commands in his book? You know, for example, God says, hey, I want you to love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. I want you to love your neighbors yourself. And if we don't do that, you know what happens? We shipwreck our lives. Okay, let's give our volunteers a hand. Good job. Good job this morning. Now, church, here's what I want you to see. When we look at the stories in this book that we call the Bible, when people shipwreck their lives, does God say, hey, 
Nice knowing you. Tough luck. No, God, because of his great love, he comes and he rescues people who have shipwrecked their lives. And that's not just true of the characters in the Bible. That's true of people in our world, true of people like you and me. God, because of his great love, comes and rescues us when we shipwreck our lives. And this morning, I want to look at one particular person in the Bible that God reaches down and rescues. Now, this person is an incredibly pivotal character in the Bible, and not just a pivotal character in Christianity. He's pivotal in two other world religions, in Islam, in Judaism. And what is his name? Who can tell me? Abraham. Now, Abraham has a relationship with God. And that relationship is really defined by one thing, faith. Abraham is going to learn to trust God. And his story is so important for us because basically there's two ways you can live in this world. And we've talked about this before. You can live in fear or you can live by what? By faith. You can get up in the morning and go through your day worried and anxious and upset or you can learn how to live the life that God calls you to live, a life of confidence, a life of peace, a life that's really an adventure because you know that God loves you and wants what's best for you. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to learn from the life of Abraham how it is that we can overcome our fear and learn to live by faith. Now I'd like to do this. I'd like to make a connection between where we stopped last week the message last week and the story of Abraham this week because last week was a really dark chapter in human history. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were evicted from their home in the Garden of Eden, things went from bad to worse. Their disobedience to God was now deeply entrenched in the human heart and sin began to spread wider and deeper. And we see that in this verse that we looked at last week. It's from Genesis chapter 6. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's a pretty dark picture of humanity. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them, that he'd ever made people and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. If you were here last week, you know we talked about the number one goal in life is to please God. And that's so important because what we do, what we say, what we think, can bring pain or pleasure to the heart of God. And at this point, it's nearly all pain. God looks down from heaven and people are just a mess. And so God decides that he's going to pull the plug on this human experiment. He's going to destroy all the people and all the animals except for Noah and his family. And that's because Noah pleased God. Noah walked with God. So as the story continues, God sends a flood Noah and his family are saved and then they start all over again and God says, hey Noah, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and, and then God says, hey, I'm going to make a promise to you, a covenant that I will never again destroy the earth with a flood and what was the sign of that covenant? Yeah, a rainbow. Now, the problem is that Noah's descendants don't want to obey God. They don't want to fill the earth. They have other plans. And we read about this in Genesis chapter 11. It said, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole earth. They were directly disobeying what God wanted them to do. And so one day on the job site, they're building this giant tower. Somebody says, hey, would you hand me that hammer? And the guy next to him goes, no habla inglés. And then somebody says, sprechen Sie Deutsch? And somebody says, 
Parlez-vous français? And now, I don't know the languages that were going on there back in the Tower of Babel, right? But God confused their language so they get scattered and accomplish his purpose. And then as we move toward chapter 12 in the book of Genesis, we see God taking a new step toward realizing his dream. And God's dream was this. God wanted to create people who would love him and love each other, people that would live as a faith community. And so God decides to just form a relationship with one person. His name is Abraham. Now, before his name was Abraham, his name was Abram because the name Abraham means father of many nations. And here's what's going on as you look at the life of Abraham. God wants Abraham to get to know him better and better so that he will trust him more and more. And let me just say that is so important because that's true of every person who decides to follow Jesus. That's what God is up to. I don't know what's happening in your life this morning, but I know what God is up to in your life. When you're a follower of Jesus, everything coming into your life is intended as an opportunity to get to know God better so that you can trust him more and grow in your faith. So let's begin with chapter 12. It says this, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Essentially, God has one command for Abraham. Leave. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your friends, leave everything familiar. And this is interesting. Implied in this command is the call for Abraham to leave his old gods, the gods that his father worshipped. And so for Abraham, this is a decision of epic proportion. Will he stay or will he go? Is he going to leave or not? And so this is what we read. This is in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when called, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Have there been times in your life where you did not know where you were going? Times when you had no idea where God was taking you? Maybe this morning, God's allowed certain things to come into your life or into your family or into the lives of those that you love and you wonder what's ahead well what do you do well that's the first thing I want you to see this morning just as God called Abraham to follow him by faith so God calls us to follow him how yeah same way by faith now I have a question that I want to ask you this morning what do the three letters DTR stand for does anybody know? DTR. I'll start you off. Determine the, who knows? Relationship. Determine the relationship. Um, it's one of those conversations that people have, especially when they're dating, and they want to know, you know, where is this relationship going? Because there needs to be a mutual understanding of that. That's called defined, define the relationship. Well, with this call to leave everything, God is defining his relationship with Abraham. Because he's calling him to live by faith. Now, what did Abraham leave? Well, Abraham was not a nomad. He was a very successful merchant. He had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of servants. He actually lived in this urban area um, in Mesopotamia near the Euphrates River. And so for him, this was a very big deal. Because he's, he's secure. He's respected. He's connected. And God says, no, I want you to leave everything and go to a place that I will show you. See, if Abraham does that, he will no longer be linked in. He will no longer have a gazillion Facebook friends. He's going to be on his own at this point. And humanly speaking, this move is financial and vocational suicide. So why in the world would somebody follow a call like that? 
because they trust God. And what about his wife, Sarah? I mean, how does this hit her? Because, you know, God says to Abraham, leave your country, leave your family, go to this place that I will show you. Um, those instructions are just a little vague, aren't they? And it's been my experience that wives typically want more information than that before they pack everything up and, and go someplace, especially when they don't know where they're going. And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us about the exact words and the conversation that Abraham and Sarah have, but you can imagine Abraham going, hey, Sarah, um, we're moving. You know, pack up all of our stuff. Where are we going, Abraham? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I'll know it when I get there. And Sarah says, well, what will we do if you get lost? We won't get lost. Well, Abram, how do you know we won't get lost if you don't know where you're going? Because God will tell me what to do. And I can imagine Sarah going, God who? Because really, God has only spoken to Abraham at this point. He's not spoken to Sarah. So she must have been so confused. And this would probably be the, the first trip in human history where a wife would say, um, where in the world are we? And her husband says, God only knows. And he would be speaking the literal truth. <laughs> And realize this, Abraham was not a pillar of spiritual perfection. This guy had a lot of flaws, but he trusted God, and he stepped out in faith. And church, I've shared part of this story before. I can really identify with Abraham because there was a time when I was a firefighter and a paramedic, and I really sensed that God was calling me to leave. And it was so clear. I want you to leave your job. Okay, God, but where are we going? Just leave, and I will show you. And for me, that was, in some respects, a crisis point. Would I leave or would I go? And I remember talking to Chris about it. And we talked about it, we prayed about it. We had built a house together, and we would have to leave that house. We had been in the same church family for 10 years. We would leave all of our church family behind, our friends, everything familiar. And we would go to a place where we had no connections like starting over and this is so I could go and study to be a pastor and I still remember when I told my kids they cried because I was asking them to leave everything in their world too and I still remember it was a Sunday morning we had just gotten home from church and we had the for sale sign in front of the house and I was sitting next to the for sale sign in a lawn chair and I was writing stuff in my journal and I actually wrote down this is I want to read it to you this is what I wrote in my journal that day I wrote this God, this is really hard, and I don't know where you're taking me, but I choose to trust you. And church, I'd be less than honest if I didn't say I had second thoughts, times that I doubted that I was doing the, the right thing at the right time, wondering, God, is there another way we could do this? Times when I said, you know what, God, can, can I just go back to the way things used to be, because this is really hard. And then I was reminded that when Jesus called me to follow him, he never said, hey, it's going to be easy. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross every day. You need to surrender and you need to sacrifice. And church, you need to know that when you decide to follow Jesus, he wants you to be fully devoted to him. He wants you to let go of your agenda for your life and adopt his agenda for your life. And I will tell you this, following Jesus is hard, but it is the greatest joy you will ever know. And I say that from personal experience. So many of you know this. There is joy in the journey of following Jesus. And also, every time you take a step following Jesus, your faith has an opportunity to grow. Because the better you get to know God, the more you trust him. And some of you this morning can look back and go, man, I have a track record with God. I have seen him do amazing things in my life. I remember 
when I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going to leave everything. I'm going to go to school and get trained as a pastor. I had a conversation with my older brother. And we're on the telephone, and he says, you're going to do what? He said, no, wait a minute. You have this, like, secure job, you know, with medical benefits and retirement, and you've got three kids, by the way, and you're married. You're just going to go to school. You don't even know if you have a job yet. He said, why would you do that? And I said, well, I know that there's going to be a day like today, when I stand in front of a group of people and say, you know what, you need to trust God with your life. You need to go where he calls you even if you don't know where it is. And I told my brother, how can I ever tell people, have faith in God, trust God, if I'm not willing to do it myself? Because see, I can tell you by personal experience, we have a God that can be trusted completely. And that's what's going on in Abraham's life. It's a faith journey. And here's something else that's really important. I think this is so fascinating. The result of Abraham actually stepping out in faith is that other people get blessed. Look at this verse. It says, this is God speaking to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, Abraham. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And listen, that's true for every single one of us. When you step out in faith and you say, God, I'm going to go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do. God is going to bless you, but he's going to bless people through you. you know, I saw that so clearly this week. We had hundreds and hundreds of kids in this room. And you know what was happening? God was blessing these kids through the volunteers because the volunteers said yes. And that's true in your family. When you're a husband or a wife and you say, God, I am serious about following Jesus. I want to be fully devoted to you. That will bless your spouse. And that will bless your children, and that will bless your grandchildren, even if you don't have grandchildren yet, because God is going to bless other people through you. Now, here's another major event that takes place in Abraham's life um, that defines their relationship even more. God wants to prove to Abraham that he is radically and totally committed to him. So God says, okay, Abraham, I am going to form a covenant with you. Now, you might think of a covenant this way. It's a contract. So God's going to have a contract with Abraham. Now, in the ancient world, the ancient Near East, there were essentially two kinds of contracts. There were bilateral contracts between equal parties, and there were unilateral contracts where one party was much bigger and stronger and the other was weaker. Now, typically, when you have this unilateral contract, the stronger party had an agenda. They had something they wanted out of the contract. That's why they decided to go into the contract in the first place. And so the question is this, why would God want a contract with a human being. Because really, he knows the human race. He's seen how unfaithful and how ungrateful people are. Why would God enter into a covenant or a contract with people? And the answer is really staggering. One reason, to bless us. God enters into a contract, a covenant with Abraham to bless him, to pour out his love. And the Old Testament writers were really blown away by this, that this God who made the universe, this God who is so great and powerful would stoop to enter into a covenant with broken, fallen people who had shipwrecked their lives. But that's exactly what happens. Now imagine that you're, you're Abraham and God says, okay, Abraham, I'm gonna enter into this contract, this covenant, but we need a sign, something we can refer to to remember that we have this deal and God says, here's a sign, circumcision. And Abraham says, what? And God explains it. And Abraham goes, God, are you sure about this? I mean, hey, Noah got a rainbow, come on. 
Take a look at this second statement on your outline. Because here's what I want you to see. Just as God committed himself to Abraham with a covenant, so God commits himself to us with a, what kind of covenant? A new covenant. Now, church, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of what it means to enter into a covenant. Because so often in um, Bible verses it says the Lord made a covenant, but in the Hebrew language it would be best translated the Lord cut a covenant. And here's what that means in context. When you were going to form a covenant with somebody, back in the ancient Near East, you would actually take animals and cut them in half. It was a bloody, gruesome affair. So you'd take these animals, you'd actually cut them in half, pull the pieces apart, and then you would take a covenant walk. You would walk between the pieces of these animals that had been torn apart. And when you took that covenant walk, you were essentially saying, listen, if I break this covenant, then I'm going to be like these animals. I'm going to be torn apart. That's how serious a covenant was. Now, this is really, really important to understand. Who takes the covenant walk? It's not Abraham. It's God. And we see that so clearly. Look at this verse. This is Genesis chapter 15. It says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, the pieces of the animals that had been cut apart. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That smoking fire pot, that blazing torch, represented the presence of God. God committed himself to that covenant with Abraham. And it was serious. It's sort of like when kids make a promise and they want you to know that they really mean it. They have this thing that they say, I, I did it when I was a kid. I promise, cross my heart and hope to die. How's it go? Stick a... Seriously? Man, I don't want to break that promise. Well, in the same way, actually, in an exponentially greater way, people did not want to break covenants because it was so serious. And when we think about this context of cutting a covenant, it makes the words of Jesus even more significant. When we have communion, I often quote the words of Jesus. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant in my blood. See, the old covenant had been broken by sinful human beings like me and you. And that's because we come to the, into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose, away from his plan. And when we disobey God, when we don't believe that what God says is true or we just decide we're not going to do it, we get shipwrecked. Because there are consequences in the spiritual world for disregarding God's commands. And we know that. The Bible says... And in the book of Isaiah, that your sin has separated you from God. It's like we're on this island. You know, we're, we're apart from God, and there's this giant gulf between, and that gulf is our sin. And not only that, God is a just God, and so he has to punish our sin, and that punishment is for that separation to continue for how long? Forever. And so we have to be rescued. We cannot save ourselves. And that's what the story of redemption is all about. This incredible story of a God who loves you like nobody else. And because God loves you, God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lives a perfect life. And then, because he is perfect, he's uniquely qualified to offer his life in exchange for yours. And that's why Jesus allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. See, on the cross... Something very important is happening. The covenant that we have with God has been violated and somebody has to pay. 
and somebody does. In his suffering on the cross, Jesus experiences the consequences of our disobedience, the consequences of us breaking the covenant. On the cross, God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And listen carefully, church. In his suffering, in his death, Jesus, by his own blood, cuts a new covenant with God on our behalf so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be adopted into God's family. And there's only one requirement for our adoption, faith. Faith in God. Believing that what God says is true, that we are lost sinners who need a Savior, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, when by faith we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, we're brought into the family of God, which is a faith community. And listen, whatever your struggle is today, Whatever the pressure or the pain or the problem you're dealing with, be encouraged by this. We have a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, and God is totally committed to you. He has cut a new covenant signed with the blood of his own son, and that means it doesn't matter how hard the trial, how strong the pressure, Jesus Christ will never bail out on you. God will never leave you or forsake you because he is a covenant-keeping God. And we see this in the story of Abraham because essentially, when God makes this covenant with Abraham, he promises him two things, land and people. Now, some of you know the story that God tells Abraham, look, you're gonna have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them all. It's like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Of course, there's one problem, right? What is the problem? He has no descendants. Sarah and Abraham have no kids. In fact, he's an old man, and, and Sarah's well beyond the age where she would normally have a child. But God says, oh, 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 I can do this. I'm the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. And so I guess at first, Abraham and Sarah are pretty excited. Yeah, God promised us a baby boy. And they wait, and they wait, and Sarah decides, you know what? This isn't happening. So I better take things into my own hands. I have a plan. Hey, Abraham, why don't you go sleep with my servant and have a child and maybe God will work things out that way. And again, we don't know the exact words that Abraham said to Sarah. <laughs> but I can imagine him saying, well, okay, honey, if, uh, if you think it's a good idea, I'll do it for you. <laughs> and he does. And a little baby boy is born, Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the son of promise. And so once again, Abraham and Sarah have to wait. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever waited on God? You raise your hand. I'm waiting on God right now. I'm praying and praying and praying and I'm waiting for God to do something. Have you ever thought about this? Why does God make us wait? He made Sarah and Abraham wait 25 years before their child was born. Why does God do that? I think the answer is clear. To strengthen our faith in him. See, God finally comes through. And this little baby is born. And I was thinking about Abraham and Sarah. And at this point in the story, you would think, man, this is a couple that has a lot of faith in God. Right? Because of what they've been through. I mean, they waited 25 years. They got a baby boy. And Isaac is growing up. And, you know, Abraham can look back and go, yeah, God made a covenant. And, man, he's, he's kept his bargain. I'll tell you what. He is the covenant-keeping God. And you would think, Wow. You know, this, this faith that Abraham and Sarah have is like fully formed. They're model believers. And yet, the most difficult test of Abraham's faith lies ahead. Now, what about, what about us? Have you ever been at that place in your life when you think, wow, you know, I'm doing pretty good following Jesus. You know, I've got some pretty strong faith. 
And God says, oh, wait a minute. There are some other things that you're going to experience that will test your faith and make it even stronger. I know personally that's kind of where I am in my relationship with God right now. God's saying there are other tests of faith that you need to experience to make you stronger so that you can trust me more. And we see that in Genesis chapter 22 because the verse says, sometime later God tested Abraham and the writer wants us to know what Abraham doesn't. This is just a test because God comes to Abraham and says, okay, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son that you love, little Isaac. And I'm sure that Abraham was going, what? God, I don't understand. Take a look at this statement on your outline. Just as God called Abraham to trust and obey him when he didn't understand, so God calls us to trust and obey him when we don't understand. Because there are so many things that happen in our lives and the lives of others that we just don't fully understand. And yet the Bible reminds us that nothing happens by accident. It's like the story about this cowboy who goes to this insurance agent because he wants to buy life insurance. And so they're filling out the paperwork and the agent says, well, have you had any accidents in the last year? And the cowboy says, no, but um, there was this, um, this horse that kicked me and I got chased by a bull and bitten by a rattlesnake. And the agent goes, well, are you kidding me? Those weren't accidents? He said, no, they did it on purpose. <laughs> Bible's clear, God has a purpose for everything he allows to come into our lives. And you know, we can understand that with our heads because yeah, the Bible says that, that God uses everything to make us more like Jesus. Okay, I get that, but I don't get this. I don't see how that fits into God's plan. And you know what? Even if I did get it with my head, what about the pain in my heart? What do I do when the doctor says, hey, it's cancer and it's serious? And I have no idea what to do. And yet God whispers, trust me. Or maybe you're in a marriage and your spouse says, I want a divorce. And you're totally blindsided and you wonder, what am I going to do? And you hear that whisper from God, trust me. Your child comes to you and says, hey, I'm gay. And there is this stunned silence and you go, what am I going to do? And God says, hey, hey, trust me. In the story of Abraham, when life is hard, when life hurts, when Abraham doesn't understand what God is up to, God wants Abraham to do one, one thing, trust him. Because when you trust God, you're willing to obey God. And Abraham comes to this place where he, he decides that, you know what, if God made a promise, then God's gonna keep that promise no matter what. He's gonna find a way to keep his promise, even if I don't understand. And we see that so clearly. Look at this passage from Hebrews. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Check this verse out. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Abraham came to a point in his faith journey with God where he said, you know what, God? I don't get this, I don't understand this, but if you made a promise, you're gonna keep that promise no matter what. That's where God wants to take us. So that whatever God allows to come into our lives, we can say, God, I don't understand this, but I know that you are the covenant-keeping God, the God who always keeps his promises. 
no matter what. Let me close with this thought. It really has been an amazing week here in Vacation Bible School. And I was thinking as I was preparing this, this message about what the kids learned this week. And I had the privilege of doing devotions on several days with the volunteers. And so we would start in the morning um, with this idea that when we're shipwrecked, God rescues us. And so there were five different themes. And so we would present the theme and the kids all together would say two words, Jesus rescues. And it was so cool because they were here at the end of first service and I had all the kids up here saying this with me. So I'm gonna ask you to say that with me, okay? So what are the two words? Jesus rescues. And so here's, here's what our kids learned this week. When you are lonely, when you worry, when you struggle, when you do things that are wrong, when you feel powerless, the church, listen, whatever challenge you're facing this morning, Whatever the pressure or the pain, remember this. Know this. Jesus rescues. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful those words are faithful and true. You're the God who makes and keeps your promises to us. And so, God, today, we praise you. We thank you because we know that you're the God who can be trusted. And, Lord, I pray this. Whatever's happening in, in our lives right now, Father, Help us to keep walking by faith and not by sight. Lord, help us to trust you even when we don't get it, even when we don't understand where you're taking us. And Father, I pray as a church that you would deepen our faith in you because, Lord, it's our faith that will prove to the world that you're real. It's our love for each other that will draw people into your family. So, Lord, I pray that you do that through us. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who's never made that that step of faith to trust Jesus, I pray that today would be the day where they just come to you in their own words and their own way and say, Jesus, I get it, finally. I need you so much. I have shipped, wrecked my life by the choices I've made. I'm a sinner, Jesus. I need a savior. I know that's you. I believe you died on a cross. For me, you rose from the dead and I want to follow you now. And God, you always honor that prayer. You run to rescue us. So God, Continue to do that. Continue to be faithful. Continue to rescue us because we need you to do that, God. And as you do, we will give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.